Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And if only you would open up and and completely and totally and utterly yield to Him, I'm telling you, He will take you to that next realm. He will take you to a higher dimension of His glory and of His presence. This is the place where we are at. This is where we are at. We're not here because this is somehow just something that we do as a religious duty. This is something that we do because we understand the importance of spirit connecting with spirit. We understand the importance of purpose and destiny. And we are on a mandate that God has given us as a local church, not only for this region, but even the outermost parts of this world. And so again, Father, we pray and we profess, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is no greater desire that is in my heart than to see the reality of God's kingdom come to the fullness of that which we're believing for. For that which God has said in His Word, for the promises that God has given us in His Word, for that to become a true yes and amen. And I pray that this would also be the season where we enter into the reality of God's Word. Where we enter into that place where we know that we know that we know that if God's Word says it, then I believe it. And you know what? That settles it. We do not allow circumstances, the external factors of that which is happening in the world. We do not allow social political issues to dictate our reality. We do not allow and we are not swayed by the socio-economic situation in South Africa and around the world to in essence define our theology. We are not of those who draw back into perdition. We are of those who stand firm in our faith. We are of those who stand firm in our faith. So come on one more time. If you are of those who stand firm in your faith, just take the next five seconds and just clap your hands and you say to God, I am of those. Amen. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we um, have actually been delving into the Word of the Lord, and um, what an incredible series this has been. Honestly, you know, looking back at this, this has blessed me, not only in preparing these messages, but also delivering this to you, because I've always known that when, when, when the Lord told me the importance of and the, in, the significance of this in-season Word, that it is, yes, first and foremost for us as a local church, but also this is what should be on the lips of Christians, professing Christians all around the world. And it is the importance, the significance of entering into the realm of sonship. So today we're going to be dealing then with the finale, okay? So we dealt with part one, part two, and then also the finale. So then if it is that you might have missed part one and part two, there is going to be an opportunity for you to catch up on that. So you can go to Spotify, you can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to Google, and you can actually search for Dominion Today, and you will find those teachings are all right there. So you can stream it on your phone, through your phone, through your computer, free of charge. So definitely make use of that. 
So the realm of sonship part three, the finale. We dealt with five developmental stages. For those of you who remember, here they are again. Number one is the nepios brephos stage. These are the infants. Remember those who do not yet have the ability to speak. Then number two, the Pidon children. Those are the young children. These are the ones between the ages of like 2 and 10 or 11. They are the ones who are growing. They are the ones who are starting to learn and starting to become aware of their surroundings. Then number three is a technon, a child, a pupil, a disciple, someone who is malleable, someone who is open to instruction. And then Neoniscos, which is a young man in his prime. And then number five, finally, a Hoyo son, who is a fully mature and positioned son. You'll recall when I was sharing with you over the last few weeks that a Hoyo son then in essence is the one who actually now has the right to activate the birthright and the inheritance. Remember Galatians chapter 4 clearly speaks of this. And yes, there is the practical implication of it. And then there's also the contextual application of that. But when we understand what Galatians chapter 4 brings to the fore, it is this, is that although we are the owners of everything because we have an inheritance, unless we have applied ourselves to the process that belongs to spiritual maturity, we are children, little children. We are these Pidon children or even younger. We are the Nepios children who have guardians and, and people over us, managers over us that will in essence manage the birthright and manage the inheritance or then in aka the trust fund until such a time that has been appointed by the father. That's in Galatians chapter 4 from verse 1. You can go and read that again. Now, what is so incredible is it says this, that once a child or as a child is still growing up, he is no better off than that of a slave. Although he is the owner of everything, although there is a trust fund. Now, there are so many billionaire trust fund babies out there in the world. But understand that with God, a billion doesn't even cut it. A trillion doesn't even cut it. A quintillion doesn't even cut it because the Bible makes us clear that God shall supply all our need according to his riches, his unlimited riches in glory. In essence, God has given us access to a trust fund. It's like being handed a blank check. Because that which belongs to Christ belongs to us because he is the firstborn of all creation. But unless we apply ourselves to the process of becoming spiritually mature Huyos sons, that is just going to stay there. You, we, because we do not meet the minimum requirements as is set forth by the Father, we cannot lay claim to it. It cannot be activated, which means we cannot yet take possession of that which is laid up for us. And so we're going to go into the Huyos son in quite a bit of depth. But a couple of takeaways from last week. Number one, if you're writing this down, and I would encourage you to make notes because today I'm going to be teaching again. So make sure that you make these notes as we go along. So number one, the takeaways from last week is be intentional about putting away childish things. Be intentional about putting away childish things. Remember I told you, why is it that pastors have to put up with what the Bible says you need to put away. 
So be intentional about putting away childish things. Things that belong to a nepios infant or a pidon young immature child. Number two is humility is key to inheriting the kingdom of God. And you have to die to self. Humility is key to inheriting the kingdom of God. And you have to die to self. Number three, the stage from Nepios to Technon is where many shipwreck their call, their destiny. Why is that important? Because number four then is having one or two successes does not mean that you are yet ready to launch. By having one or two successes, by having a successful outreach, by having an opportunity to preach the gospel and a few people got saved, does not yet necessarily mean that you are ready to launch. Number five, Jesus called his disciples Pidon, children. Remember, we spoke about this from the gospel of John. Towards the very end of the gospel of John, Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee preparing breakfast. The disciples are in the boat. They are doing what they were doing when Jesus first met them. Although there would have been the expectation for them to be in the streets, to evangelize, to heal, to flow with that which has been imparted to them over the last three and a half years. After Jesus' death and His resurrection, it's not as though Jesus was still dead. And they thought that there was no hope, there was no future. Hey, it was good while it lasted for the three and a half years. But hey, we, we go back to our default setting. Jesus appeared to them. Jesus had a meal with them. Jesus sat with them, spoke with them, appeared to them on multiple occasions. And where there would have been the expectation that they, after three and a half years, would become fully mature warrior sons of God, they actually got back to that point where they just sort of press a reset button and they go back to restoring their factory default settings. Because in the same way that Jesus found Peter saying to him, cast your net on the other side. Well, master, we twirled all night. We caught nothing. We've got nothing to show for it. Yet on the ground of your word, I will lower the net again. And so Jesus jokingly sort of tongue in cheek says to them, hey, young children, think about that. These are grown men. But he addresses them as Pidon, young children. Have you caught any fish yet? And then they say, no, nothing. Cast your net on the other side, Jesus said. And then, that's our master. Peter puts his tunic on. He was butt naked on that boat. He put his tunic back on and he goes to Jesus. So sad that they were these disciples. Jesus would have expected them to be in the streets because they could not wait to share the testimony. They could not wait to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That all that was spoken of Him in the, in, in, in the Old Testament, all of that which was revealed about Him in the, in the Old Testament, in the law, and in the Psalms, and by the prophets, that had been fulfilled. Yet, they went back to fishing when Jesus called them to become fishers of men. So becoming a, a hoyos son, and this is what I want to deal with today. Becoming a royal son, which is a fully mature and a positioned son. The son that has then the privilege and has the right to access the inheritance that has been laid up for him. Becoming a royal son. That's a, the heading if you want. 
So number one is Ahoyo son has demonstrated consistent submission to his spiritual father. Remember that when before Jesus was publicly commended, positioned, and validated, that moment when he was baptized, he came from the waters, he prayed. And as he was praying, the Bible says, heaven opened up and out of heaven came a voice, the voice of the Father who said, you are my son whom I love and you I'm well pleased. That was a public validation of Jesus Christ who has emerged as a warrior's son of God, a fully mature son of God. But understand, prior to that, Jesus was referred to by Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. He is referred to by Mary and Joseph as Pidon. And in verse 48 of Luke chapter 2, he is referred to as a technon son. However, then in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, when God reveals his son to the world and validates him and confirms him as his son, he does not refer to him as Nepios. He does not refer to him as Pidot. He does not even refer to him as a young established man, a technon. He refers to him as a hoyos son of God, a fully mature son of God. But Jesus had to apply himself to be obedient to his parents. Remember the last two weeks I shared this with you. The incredible reality of this is the fact that although Jesus had earthly parents, who were, who were not infallible. They made mistakes. I mean, Joseph was Jesus' stepdad at best. Okay, he knew that he was not the father. Mary was the mother. Yes, biologically, Jesus' mother. The Bible makes this particular statement. It says that they did not understand him. Speaking of Jesus, remember when he got lost in the temple? They did not understand him. Jesus understood. Yet they did not understand him as the parents. Yet it says, and Jesus left with them and was obedient unto them. He was not submitted. Submission still speaks of the fact that, hey, if you ask me to do something and it doesn't resonate with me, I will stand up and state my case and say, I cannot do this out of my conscience. I cannot do this. That's the difference between submission and obedience. Obedience means whatever you are told, do it. Irrespective, irregardless. His parents were not infallible. They made mistakes. They were natural human beings. I'm sure there would have been times when Mary would have gone like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to raise the son. No one has ever raised the Messiah before. I mean, she could knock and go to focus on the family and read every book she could. But no one has ever raised the Messiah before. And then think about that. I just love pointing this out again. She lost Jesus in Jerusalem. Three days. I mean, imagine every night going to bed. You know, we tend to not think of these biblical characters as real people. They were real people. 
Mary was as real as any one of you here. She would have gone to bed at night frantic. You cannot tell me that, no, she was calm and collected. What mother would be? What mother would be? I mean, understand, she is the mother that nursed Jesus. She is the mother that changed his diapers. We tend not to think about those things because we place these individuals on a pedestal. And we think of Jesus as a man that he did not somehow have normal bodily functions. He did. Jesus was in need of nurture. Jesus would have cried for his mother to hold him and to breastfeed him. Think about that. That puts things into perspective. And that is what she went through. And yet, in spite of all those things, as I said, she was not perfect. They as a couple were not perfect. And when Jesus was very young, Joseph died. So he grew up in essence fatherless. Like so many people to this day, growing up without a father. So this is why, you know what, we can never ever say, well, God, you do not understand. You've always been God. You do not understand what it's like to be alive as a human. But Jesus says, I understand. I know what it feels like when none of your family understand you. In fact, that when they want to seize you, they locked Jesus up. His family locked him up because they thought that he was a menace to society. And yes, he was. Because, I mean, he was a revolutionary. He turned the tables on the status quo. It wasn't going to be business as normal with Jesus in the vicinity, no. And what is so incredible is watching this entire story unfold of Jesus who goes through his life, you know, where he knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to be despised. He knows what it feels like for someone to say, Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth? He knows what it's like to be underestimated. He knows what it feels like to be the underdog. He knows what it feels like to be the, the, the neglected, the despised, the unwanted. The Bible says he came to this world that he had created and the world knew him not. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And we can argue this as much as we want, saying that the Jewish people did not know. They knew. Herod said, where is the Messiah said to be born? And they came back and said, in Bethlehem. Oh, go and issue the decree that all male children born in Bethlehem shall be killed. They knew. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They said, away with him, kill him crucify him and yet Jesus is on the cross saying father forgive them for they do not know what they do because had the devil even had known the plan and purpose of God the eternal plan and purpose of God the Corinth uh, and Paul writes in Corinthians saying that they would not have killed the son of God this is what I love about this incredible story is that the devil saw Jesus on the cross that day and thought to himself, I have you. You're dead. This is going to die and it's not going to go any further. I've got you. Oh, and three days later. I just love that. 
three days later, and we are reminding the devil every day. We are reminding that this is why, I mean, Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday. So there is something already just in the atmosphere special about a Sunday. It's resurrection day every Sunday. Every time we come together, we're reminding the devil of our victory in Christ and through Christ. This is why you cannot ever come to any local church on a Sunday morning and not have an expectation. Well, you know, it's just, you know, church. You know, we get so caught up with all the biggest load of rubbish. We, all we should do is, 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 is understand, you know, our, our task has been to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Which the book of 1 John clearly reveals the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the work of the enemy. To obliterate the work of the enemy. So you are a destroyer. Because that is what Jesus is. You know, I'm I'm thinking about this. A destroyer is also a name of like a battleship. And it's a destroyer. He says, uh, you know, he's not like this little fishing boat. He's a destroyer. The religious folk of, of the time saw that in action. I mean, imagine Jesus in the, in, the, in, in the temple complex. I mean, it says Jesus made a whip. That was premeditated. You don't just make a whip in five seconds. I mean, that was premeditated. So this is sometimes why people say, you know what? When people say, tell you, what would Jesus do? Making a whip might be part of that equation. So do not underestimate someone who says, or someone who takes that question to heart, what would Jesus do? Because I might just very well make a whip like Jesus did. But getting back to our, our points for this morning, is understanding this then, is that the goal of spiritual fathering is to mature the son in his relationship with God as his father. Because Jesus didn't, wasn't just born and he just sort of grew up and then just one day he decided, I'm ready. And then he emerges as or positions himself as a royal son of God. He had to be obedient. In essence, we could say you have to be in submission. This is biblical. This is something Jesus himself applied himself to. So who are we to say, well, I do not need anyone in the natural. I myself here. Jesus did not even do that. He was obedient. He left with them and was obedient unto them. 18 years we read nothing that Jesus did. He did nothing significant or noteworthy during 18 years of his life. Between the ages of 12 and 30. Yet when Jesus emerges... At the age of 30, he emerges as a royal son of God. Because why? Luke chapter 2 verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. He had applied himself to the process of becoming a mature son of God. One of the incredible foreshadowings that we also have of submission and a picture of what spiritual fathering looks like in the natural comes from maybe one of the most unlikely of sources and this is the relationship between Ruth and Naomi 
or Naomi and Ruth. Remember what she says, Ruth says to Naomi, in Ruth 1, 16 to 18. Because Naomi said to her, listen, just, just rather just leave. Just rather just go. Just go your own way. And then she says this. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That is devotion. That speaks of being absolutely committed to the cause. Again, what's the difference between if you look at your breakfast plate, your full English breakfast, and you look at the eggs and you look at the bacon? What is the difference between the chicken and the pig? The chicken was involved. The pig was committed. Think about that for a second. Now, I'm not suggesting that we sort of become cultish and say, I'm going to die with you, my spiritual father, if you say, drink the Kool-Aid. Not at all. But what we need to get back to is understanding true commitment, devotion. Because what we find in the local church nowadays is such a clear contrast between hirelings and sons, servants and sons. Remember Isaac, what I shared with you? Isaac understood the significance of being a son. Isaac felt the knife that Abraham had. All of the servants were where? At the bottom of the mountain. They were oblivious to what had happened. Isaac was the one who carried, in essence, the same fire that was going to kill him. And he did that because he trusted his father. He said, I see the fire, I see the wood for the altar, but where is the sacrifice? His father could have said to him, well, you're it. Because that would have been true. And remember, I told you, when you look at the early church fathers who had calculated the age of Isaac, he is not like many children's Bibles would show you this five-year-old boy who could have just been overpowered by his father over a hundred years old. No, Isaac was a, was a man in his prime. He was about 30 years old. Some say between 25 and 33. Remember, I told you that. As a, someone who's even 25, you are most definitely going to overpower someone who's over 100 years of age. So we speak of the faith of Abraham, but we neglect to talk about the faith of Isaac. He had faith in God, but he also had faith in his natural father. Because he laid himself down on that altar. He saw the knife. He did not block when he saw that knife is going to come down on me. He had faith in his father. But nowadays we have individuals in the local church where the moment it just, there's something that you called upon to do and then it's just a little bit too much. I'm out of here. 
But the sons are the ones who have seen the knife. They've experienced the knife, yes, but they also were the ones who experienced the greatest miracle that one could ever imagine. Because you are in close proximity with the Father. So at the end of her story, and I love this so much, we find that her confession brought her into her divine destiny. This is why you have to really consider the words that come out of your mouth, the words that you speak. This was a confession. And it was this confession that brought about her divine destiny. Ruth remarried Boaz. And they gave birth, or she gave birth to Ubit, who became the father of Jesse, who also then would become the grandfather of who? King David. And out of King David, we have the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Because of that confession. She could have left. Well, I don't know what's in this for me. You know, I, I really don't know. I don't like the climate here. I don't like the way you speak to me. She could have left. And her name would not have been in the Bible, let alone a whole book that carries her name. People step out and they do not understand what they're stepping away from. She stepped into her divine destiny as a result of her devotion. Number two, Ahoyo's son has an intimate relationship with the father and knows that he will always provide. You see, knowing God as your father, you then as Ahoyo's son have total reliance, dependence, and trust in God. And you are completely convinced of this. That my God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 31 to 33. He says, Do not worry then saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. Other translations say, The heathen, the ungodly are the ones who's constantly asking about all of these things. In other words, what is it? It speaks of the flesh. You could have added many other things. Again, those who are just in it for themselves. Self-gratification. If I no longer get what I wanted out of it, well then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to apply myself to this. But these are all the things that the Gentiles, the, un, the, the, the heathen, the unbelievers are concerned about. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, when you pursue God, when you put Him first, when you put first things first, and remember that if the kingdom of God is not first, it doesn't matter what is second. But when you seek first God, his kingdom, His righteousness. All these other things will be added. You see, so many people go about this in reverse. They begin to pray for all their needs. Where all you have to do, the first step, is to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you know what? You do not even have to beg God for those other things. You do not even have to mention those other things. Because God is a good God and He knows that you are in need of them. You know, it's in the same way that we as earthly fathers, let me quickly see, who's earthly fathers here? You're a father. You've got children. Okay. 
Now, how many of you would know that this to be true? You would look at your children, the way that they may be dressed, or you would see, hey, oh, this shoe looks not too lacquer anymore. And then you already vow in your heart, I'm going to go and take you to the mall or take you to the shop and I'm going to get you a brand new pair of shoes. Because you identify most often, even you identify the need before they even do. Because you're a father, you're a good father. You understand the needs of those who are under your care. Before they would even realize and recognize the need, you have already seen the need and you have already addressed the need. Now God even speaks of this and He says that if you, or Jesus says this of God, and He says, if you who are earthly fathers, who are wicked, who are not good fathers, know how to give your sons good things, how much more will the Father not give you all things? So powerful. And listen to this, Hebrews 1 verse 5. This is speaking of Jesus. However, again, the implication is that, and it's true for all of us. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? And again there, the word is son, hoyos son, a fully mature son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him. And he shall be a son to me. You see, the father and the son. That is the relationship. That is the language of the kingdom of God. It's father and son. Number three, a Huyo son is not offended by the discipline of his father, but receives it as a son who is loved. You see, there's a lot of times where we sort of look at discipline from the perspective of, well, this person, my father, your natural father, let's say, disciplined you. And because there was discipline, you want to sort of believe, well, my father doesn't love me. Let's be honest, that is the way a very small child might see that. But a fully mature son should be able to accept discipline because he knows that it's coming from a position of love. Therefore, you could say that if you want to write it as an equation, that discipline equals love. Discipline equals love. The opposite would be true then. No discipline equals no love. Some might even say hate. In Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 7, it says this. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. Again, hoyos, sons, fully mature sons. So God deals with you as with hoyos, fully mature sons. For what son is there? whom his father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Did you get that? What is so significant about how the author of the book of Hebrews is writing this, he could have said that you then are nepios sons, infants, but not huios sons, fully mature sons. No, no. He actually has a star contrast that he presents. Because he says that you are not then, who are your sons, fully mature sons. You are illegitimate sons. You are nothos sons. You are illegitimate sons. In other words, you were not a son to begin with. You were a false son. 
So in essence, the same is true in the context of the local church. When I, as your, as your pastor, or even call this just any, any, we call this universal truths, okay? So within any local church where the pastor has to rebuke you, has to address you, has to discipline you in an area, the moment you disregard the discipline and become offended and leave, it actually showcases not your lack of maturity or your, your immaturity, it actually reveals that you have been and are a nothos son, a false son, an illegitimate son. You are not a son to begin with. Because there has always been a disconnect in your heart. In other words, you have approached it from the perspective of I will pursue. And as long as I can get what I want out of this, then I'm happy. But the moment there is going to be a, something where there's going to be an expectation now on you. Or when I'm having to address something pertaining to you, then poof, I'm leaving. I will not tolerate discipline. I will not tolerate any form of rebuke. Or I will not even tolerate it to be addressed in that fashion. It is a nothos son, a false son, an illegitimate son. You know, in essence, it becomes the very definition then of a parasite. It's something that latches on to a host and sucks the life out of that life form, the host, until such a time that it has had its full it's had its plenty. It has sucked it dry to the point where it cannot take even a drop more from it. And then what does the parasite do? It falls off. Think of a tick. It only stays on the host until such a time that it's had its drink to the full. After that, it drops off. And then it, what does it do? It goes to the next host. Sadly, that is how many people have gone about their way in the local church. Same way. John 8 verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. In other words, there are those who are in essence then false. There are those who do not hear the words of God. Now you might say, well, this is speaking of Jesus. People simply, Jesus is obviously speaking in the context, John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking. And yes, you look at the context of who he was even addressing and you might say, well, that is then simply um, limited to that particular context or that particular setting. However, in 1 John 4 verse 6, now this is no longer just Jesus speaking. This is John. He says that we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. So in other words, there are those who will not listen. There will those who will not heed to discipline. There are those who will not heed or tolerate any form of correction. They will not even be open to their doctrinal views being challenged. This is why we look at even what's happening in the world today. You cannot question anything anymore. Everything has become subjective. You talk about the truth and they say, well, what truth are we talking about? Your truth or my truth? No, there is the truth and the truth is personified in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. So truth is not subjective. Truth is not something that can be edited 
You know, every single generation has their, has their definition or their view on the truth. No, the truth is constant. There is no variable when it comes to the truth. Because God is constant. You know, He says, I am God. I do not change. So when God introduces marriage between a husband and a, and, a, and a wife, a man and a woman, Jesus said those words in red. For this reason shall then the man leave his house and he shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God introduced marriage, not the world. So when we want the truth about marriage, we have to go back to the truth of God's word. Which is constant. It does not change. Simply because certain people have stood up and said, we want to challenge that. Do whatever you want in the world, but do not define it or try to redefine that which God has already defined. And has called it the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not a version of the truth, not a diluted truth, but the truth. You shall know Jesus and Jesus shall set you free. But people are not open to this anymore. You know, there's certain topics. I, I don't want to go on to this. I don't even want to go into this right now. But you know what? There's certain universities where there's certain things that you cannot even go and pursue academically as part of your dissertation subject or topic. I'm talking about worldly things where you may not. It's illegal for you to do so. Why? Because there is a narrative that exists and that is the only narrative. However, what I've come to learn when I was studying and when I was pursuing my doctorate, I understood this philosophically is that truth fears no investigation. Truth fears no investigation. This is why people get upset. You talk about these debates with other religions. And they would say, well, you know, how dare you ask questions pertaining to our faith? We will kill you. How dare you? Yet, the word of God has been attempted by people to be picked apart for millennia. And they've never found inconsistencies or errors. Unless they were deliberately, let's say, made. Or, uh, you know, in, when it comes to biblical translations, that sometimes people add their own words or their own thoughts or their own philosophies to the word of God. But that's speaking of people adding to the Bible. But when we actually begin to study the word and when we see even the church, the church that was persecuted, I mean, think about Nero, think about the early emperors of the Roman Empire, how they used to capture Christians and throw them to lions, women, children, and men alike for sport, for entertainment. They killed Christians for entertainment, for laughs. They would disembowel people, put them on a pole, throw pitch on them and just light them so that they could just give a little bit of light to the people who were gambling under the, the, the light. That is what early Christians had to go through. That's what they had to suffer through. You know, it, it, it really just brings things into perspective. And they were the ones who believed the truth and they preached the truth and they stood for the truth. Number four, a royal son has become, has overcome sin, has overcome self, has overcome the flesh, and in doing so has demonstrated his maturity as a true son. 
Revelation 21.7 says that he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. He will be my hoyo son, a fully mature son, as it's translated in the Greek. He who overcomes will inherit these things. Remember, an immature son, a paidon or a nepios or even a technon cannot inherit anything. Until such a time that this child has grown and has become a royal son, a fully mature son. So read this again in context. He who overcomes, he who overcomes self, he who overcomes sin, he who overcomes the flesh and our selfless and or selfish desires, I should say, will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, talking about sin and our need to separate ourselves from it. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Remember, whenever we read the word separate in the New Testament, which is Greek, it speaks of holiness, separateness. It's, uh, that is what the word holy means. It means set apart, that you are separate. You do not belong in that same category or camp. Be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Do you just get that? Where God is saying, hey, it's, it, there's a condition. You know, I, I, I don't know why we have adopted this attitude that somehow Christianity, because of grace, have just become all unconditional. We can just do whatever we want. We can just say, Jesus, I believe you, that you are the Son of God once in our lives and never even worry about pressing in, developing ourselves, applying ourselves to the process of transformation, becoming spiritually mature, that somehow God is happy with the fact that we are just all of these nepios children, all of us who are just sucking on bottles and who are coming to church in our nappies, and that somehow is bringing glory and honor to God. Because let's be honest, I've been a pastor a long time now. And many local churches, that is what you get. You just find individuals, the congregation who've been there for decades, and the overwhelming majority of them, basically, if you were to able to see them in the spirit, you would see them as little infant babies. All of them sitting there with their nappies and their pacifiers. That's what it looks like in the spirit. Hey, but I'm telling you, Dominion Church, you are a new breed in Jesus' name. Number five, there's going to be seven, so number five. I really want to just share this with you because this is in closing, this is the finale, and I really just want to get this through today. So number five, a Hoyo son is led by the Spirit and accurately reflects and represents the Father. This is something that I've been adamant about, is that we need to accurately reflect and represent the King Jesus and His kingdom in every sphere of society. You cannot just let your little light so shine in the church. And then, you know, as you go out of here on a Sunday morning, it's like, ah, got you eight. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I said, and then Saturday, uh, you know, Sunday morning, you know, then it's like, I'm going to go to the English 
I'm not saying you should not have a good time. I'm not saying you should not enjoy the fruits of your labor. Absolutely. Have life. Have it to the full until it overflows. Come on, because that is the life that Jesus has come to give you. Live a life worthy of the death that he died. But also, let us not dabble in sin. Let us not get so camouflaged in this world where literally if someone were to actually call out you among the the, the crowd that belongs to the world, they would not be able to spot the light. Remember, even a little, if if you strike a little match in pitch black darkness, you can see that little match from far away. Far away. So Ahoyo's son is led by the Spirit and accurately reflects and represents the Father. Romans 8.14 For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So you cannot say I'm a son of God and not be led by the Spirit of God. Then in John 5, 19 verse 20, speaking of the Spirit um, and, 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 and how Jesus was led by the Spirit. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Look at this. This is key. Jesus not only says what the Father says, but he does what the Father does in like manner. So you cannot tell the two apart. This is why Jesus then later says when Thomas says, show me the Father. When will you show us the Father? Do you not realize that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Because they are intertwined. They are interconnected. Jesus speaks what the Father says. And he does so in like manner. Listen to this. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. Now again, what belongs to Jesus belongs to us. You can enter into a realm of sonship. Where you are able to enter into that secret place where God will actually begin to speak and tell you the things that only He knows about. And He begins to share those things with you because He knows that you can be trusted, because you have died to self, because you have overcome the selfish desires of your fleshly soul. And you are led by the Spirit of God. So what is interesting is this. Is that uh, John chapter 12 verse 49 and 50 echoes this. And this is so interesting. For I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who has sent me. Has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I I know that his commandments is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now listen to this, where it says that God has given him a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. What to say and what to speak. In the English, it almost sounds like we're saying it twice. What to say and what to speak. Why would they say it twice if it's actually the same thing? Because of this. The word say... In Greek is the word epiwo, which relates to the content of what is said. In other words, it is about what is said. The word speak is the word lasiwo, which refers to the manner of delivery. 
it is how it is said. So in other words, Jesus made, was intentional, you can say, about not only saying what the Father was saying, but even delivering the words of the Father in the same manner that the Father said it. So when the Father then, in essence, through Jesus, speaks to the Pharisees and says, You hypocrites! Exclamation mark. It wasn't as though the Father said, Thou art hypocrites. And Jesus just decided because of that moment, because he was, let's say in inverted commas, angry. And he lashed out. And he then added the exclamation mark. It's the same words. But the delivery is different. And you know what? 90% of all communication is actually nonverbal. Even the way you say it. I mean, you can say something. But just by your attitude. By the tone of your voice, it can actually end up meaning the exact opposite of what you're saying. Little children are masters at that. Because all of a sudden, Johnny is crying. And then you go to, you know, the other brother or the other sister. Why is Johnny crying? And then the little sister or the little brother. Well, mom, all I said was, yes, and he's right. He's not actually lying because that is what he said or what she said. But it was the intention, it was how it was said. That actually meant the exact opposite of what was said. And so Jesus was so in submission to the Father. That not only did He speak what He heard the Father say. He said it in the same manner. So when Jesus lashes out at the religious folks of the day. It's in the exact same tone as that of the Father. It's not as though Jesus was now playing it down. Even where the Father would get, in essence, upset towards the religious people. You hypocrites! Is the way the Father would say it. And Jesus would just sort of tone it down. Because you know what? Jesus doesn't want to now get in trouble here. He doesn't want to upset the people, you know? It's like I've seen some of these things, even in movies. I'm sure you've seen it. Where you have this person who's speaking and then he's speaking through an interpreter. And then sometimes even the person would say something else in a language that is unknown to this person. And the person would even insult that person. And then they would, you know, so what did he say? You know, because the body language is like very aggressive. Very arrogant. Like what did he just say? No, he just says he loves your outfit. You know, and, and, and so there's, they're twisting the words and whatever else. But also you can tell that the, by the body languages that what is being said and the, versus how it's delivered doesn't match. In the same way, again, Jesus said what he heard the Father say, but he also delivered it just as the Father said it. Then you can go and read John chapter 14, verse 18 to 26 in your own time. It's powerful. It's about how the Spirit of God will teach you all things. Number six, a royal son excels in love, peace, and forgiveness. Two verses, Matthew 5 verse 9, and then Matthew 5 and verse 44. Matthew 5 and 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the royal's mature sons of God. Matthew 5 verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That is tough. Jesus did not only say, forgive your enemies. He said, pray for them. They will see the light of day. But no. You see, it is immaturity that reacts in that fashion. Because if I were to tell my children when they are young, when they are immature, you cannot treat children in essence or you cannot keep them accountable the same way that you would do an adult. Even the court of law makes provision for that. If a young child, let's say, murders someone, there's the punishment and, the, you know, and that which follows is so much different than that if an adult actually did that or committed that. And so it is even in the natural. If a child does something and has wronged another person or has even then been wronged by another person, you would expect that child to not have the ability to forgive that child. To forgive that person. Because it is one of the characteristics then of someone who is still immature. But what God is expecting of us as fully mature sons of God. Is that we would be able to forgive. That we would be able to bless. That we would be able to pray for those who persecute us. You say that's tough? Yes it is. But that is what makes you an adult. That is what separates you from the men versus the boys. Verse 44 again. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. And then finally, number seven. The last characteristic that I want to share with you that belongs to a royal son, a fully mature son, is that a royal son activates his firstborn status, privilege, and function. Remember I shared with you, Galatians chapter 4, the inheritance is there, you're an owner over everything, yet until such a time has been appointed by the Father, you have need of guardians, you are in need of managers to watch over that for you until such a time that you become a fully mature son of God. That then when you have overcome, you will inherit all things. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And so again, I want to end off with this, is that our highest calling is not to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, look after the widows, the orphans, to even go and tell people about Jesus. Those things we should do. And yes, those things we do do. But our highest calling is to be conformed to the image of His Son. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, in your favorite podcast platform or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.